Hello, this is Hardin Coleman, faculty director for the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. You're listening to the very first season of Caring, Character, and Community, the Center's podcast. In this season, we will focus on learning from leaders about how they integrate the ethic of caring, they focus on their own and others' character development, and a commitment to serving the needs of the community in order to guide and inform their leadership decisions in times of crisis. A major part of the CCSR's mission is to facilitate conversations among educators, community organizers, and engaged citizens around the challenges of creating conditions in our schools and communities that will allow all our children to flourish. This is part two of our inaugural season with a focus on bringing you the perspectives of leaders in the higher education space. In today's episode, we will be talking to one of my longtime friends and collaborators, Don Pope Davis. Don is Dean of the College of Education and Human Ecology at The Ohio State University. He's passionate about using higher education to address issues of equity, economic growth, and psychological well-being of educators and students. An educator for more than 25 years, he was previously Dean of the College of Education at New Mexico State University, an Hispanic-serving institution. He also served in senior level positions at the University of Notre Dame. Don's work on religious work on religious attitudes, multicultural competence, and unintentional racism and counseling is widely published and peer reviewed. He's a member of the he's a fellow of the American Psychological Association, and his most recent book has been published by uh, Cambridge University Press. He's president-elect of the Council of Academic Deans for, from research institutions and a member of the steering committee for deans for social justice and equity in education. Don, we wanna thank you for spending time with us. Thank you, Hardin. Glad to be here. So we wanna start with you sharing a little bit with us, what are you working on at OSU now? And how's this last year been for you, last 18 months been for you as we've been through these multiple crises of pandemics, uh, climate change, uh, uh, significant um, and unfortunate violence throughout the country? Well, it, it's, a, it's a good question. Um, so our, our perspective around the last few years, uh, last year and a half, 18 months, has been around how do we address two pandemics? There's a tendency to only think in terms of one. Uh, you know, one that, that initiated or started with COVID-19. And the the other one was the social justice piece. And one of the things that's interesting about those two pandemics, as, as I make reference to, is that one, our country got around it very quickly. And within 18 months, we had a vaccine, or at least a preliminary indication that a vaccine would emerge for all of us. It is interesting in contradistinction to that approach that the second pandemic has to do with social justice, racism, equity, and inclusion that has been around for more than 400 years. And our country has still not fully engaged and talked about ways in which we can address this in a systemic and transformative way. So our college has pivoted in the direction of how do we address the 400-year pandemic? How do we look at that in terms of our scholarship, in terms of our faculty, in terms of our students, in terms of how we do business, 
and how we look at those things as a way to begin to address them in a systematic, in a systematic way, in a variety of ways. And so we have developed a set of core values, if you will, that relate to diversity, inclusion, innovation, internationalization, um, human and health vitality as a way to anchor the college in a set of pillars and expectations in order to address that in the broader institution. So we've attempted to do that in, in a variety of ways. Uh, and, and apart from the traditional ways that scholars and academies and faculty have been doing that, we've also decided in a very intentional way to engage the community in which we live so that as we come up with solutions, it is part or related to the transactional approach of applied research in our respective communities. So we do what we do, but we take it into the community, as you know, and we are informed by the experiences of the community around us, and we bring it back into the classroom so that we can continue to transform it in a variety of ways. It has forced our colleagues to stop thinking themselves of as exclusively experts because the model of expertise is no longer the, the traditional one, which many of us were part of as part of our graduate education. You've got to be this exceptional scholar. But that's been, you know, that's been moved in a different direction because if we say as a college of education and human ecology that we are committed to diversity, inclusion, and equity, the question is, is that an academic exercise or do we have manifestations of what that means in our college and in the community? You know, the old biblical phrase of by your actions, you will know them. And so what are the representations in terms of what we do and how we do it? And those are the things we are beginning to move in and, and, and have a sense of, of where we are and the kind of impact we want to do. Can you give an example, or what's your favorite example that, that demonstrates that you were getting movement in your college? I know, I know you started a few years ago, and you started moving the college forward in this area, and now that you're kind of getting some traction, what would you see as an example, either a success or when you really see that this is beginning to take hold as a, um, as a central value in, in the work of the, of the college? Sure. So one of the things we've done is we have doubled down on trying to diversify our faculty so that there is a representation so that our faculty look like the community in which we serve and our, mm -hmm. look like our students and so forth. So for the last three years, we have made a, a, a concerted effort to recruit more faculty of color to our college uh, in variety of fields and as, as a way of saying if we can have more faculty of color, the conversation begins to shift in a very different way. So a concrete example is we now have close to 30 to 35% of our faculty are faculty of color that didn't exist four years ago. Mm -hmm. So we've put resources in it and we are continuing to do that in a variety of ways. Another example is that we created a diversity postdoc program in our college one of the first in, in the United States in our College of Education, where as part of that enterprise, the postdocs uh, that we recruited, they had the ability to work on their own research mm -hmm. and 
they also have the possibility of getting a tenure track position in our college. I don't know of any, most typical postdocs say you bring a postdoc in and you work on somebody else's research. We said we were going to, di we were going to disrupt that model and, and we were going to allow the, 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 the postdoc to, to develop their own research and we provided the funding for them to do it. Mm -hmm. so, so, and, and mentorship? And mentorship? Yes, yes. So, so, so um, um, there are a number of things that make this program unique. Uh, we have a mentorship program as part of it. We have a training session on how to write grants. Uh, we have a, a teaching center that helps them become better at teachers. We have community partners that have come on board to help them integrate themselves into the community. And out of that result, our postdocs, which is also very typical, uh, um, were able to get grants because of the work they were doing as postdocs. So they're going into this environment in a very different way. And so we offered positions to five of our diversity postdocs. And I'm fortunate to say that they joined us this fall for the first time as tenure track positions. I anticipate some of them, given the work they've done so far, of going up early for tenure and promotion, given the work that they have done. But those are two examples. The third one is we established uh, a superintendents in residence program that, that brought superintendents from urban, rural, uh, and suburban communities into our college as a way of increasing these collaborative relationships and informing our faculty, staff, and students about the things that are occurring in various school districts so that we have firsthand knowledge of what it is so that we can modify our pedagogical models, our pedagogical models in our community to do those kinds of things. So it sounds that one of the things that you've really focused on is building a interactive and interrelationship with the community, the practice, so that your both the research and your teaching is uh, more quickly becomes relevant, not following the old model of you get a young faculty member in, will do something great, and then they're there for 10, 15 years. And they're not necessarily staying in touch with the movement in the field. You're, you're, yes, you're, yes, you're yeah, yeah, yes. Because we we recognize that the cohort effect works. Mm -hmm. the, the the data, I think, both anecdotal and empirical, suggests that if you bring faculty of color into an environment where they are the only one or they feel isolated, it increases the likelihood that they will not stay in that space. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to disrupt that and bring people into a space that says there are other people here who look like you and have your same kind of value. So what that also required us to do was to take a look at the culture in the college. Mm -hmm. How do we pivot the college in a direction that says it is inclusive and it values these kinds of things? So most of the people who are part of our college can fairly, want, fairly well articulate what our pillars are, what our core values are, because we've put them up in a variety of places, and everything we do has to be aligned with that. The nuance of this, too, is that our, our junior faculty member have the ability to see other senior faculty who are tenured as associate or full professor in the community. It is almost in, 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 impossible today in our college for students not to have at least one course from a faculty of color because of the investment we've made in those pedagogical and research environments. And that is, that's a tremendous thing. 
as you know, culture is the most difficult thing to, to, to shift. And so, yeah. and so we began, we're, we're in the process of looking at our policies and practices because we have some nomenclatures, as you can imagine, that have been around since the days of antiquity, that at one level we say we're committed to this and we have policies and practices that get in the way of achieving those. And so sometimes people say, well, we weren't able to do that, not recognizing that the representation they had of the institution or the college or the program were themselves the, the, the barrier to making those things happen. So we're taking a look at policies, practices, uh, that get in the way, and some of it is is also making people accountable for why we've been doing things for so long. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that are that are pushing us. And uh, as I say, the, the the challenge is culture is the most difficult thing to change, but we're trying to do that. As to to, to quote a, a reference here, we're you know we're trying to change the conversation by talking by changing the people we're talking to as a way of, of moving this, this initiative forward. Well, Don, you've used words like uh, uh, disruption, transformative, um, um, and accountability, holding people accountable for their actual behaviors. So I'm going to ask a slightly different question, just because sometimes the question I'm going to ask is seen in, in contradiction to accountability and disruption. So how do... How does care and being caring play into your role as a decision maker? It's, it's a good question. So, so part of it is we're spending a lot of time paying attention to language that people use mm-hmm. in order to describe their situation and providing support for those kinds of things. And so one of the things we do is, you know, this whole concept, and I won't go to details about it, but the mindfulness part of our experience in the, in the academy. So as we, as we move in the direction of transformation, the question is, are we being culturally sensitive and appropriate as we're engaging in those conversations? Change for change's sake, you know, doesn't, doesn't move us in any direction. So part of it is... Is character is important? You know, when, when we interview people, we tell them what our values are and we ask them, how do you make us better because of who you are as a scholar and as a person? Uh, and then we, 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 pay, we spend some time checking in with each other. We, we do that very intentionally in my leadership team and our conversations about how are you taking care of yourself in this environment? And the other thing is we're in, we're in tune to to how we interact. I, you know, I was having a conversation uh, today about the language we use as leaders is very important that articulates a sense of care and interest. And it can't mm-hmm. just be superficial because, uh, as superficial as saying, you know, good morning, and you move on, and you say, how are you doing? And you say, fine, and that's the nomenclature. You, ha- you have to dig a little deeper. And part of the reason we want to dig a little deeper is because we're in a place with with COVID, where people's well-being is also is also very important in this environment, and so we have to make sure we check in with people as we are able to, and as much as people are able to share with us about their health and well-being as we move forward in this enterprise. So, now how do you model that, both in terms of the way you interact? You interact with people across the power structures of the college. 
and the universe. So how does your approach to being mindful about other people's needs, about managing language well, being uh, uh, open to conversations about self-care, how do you manage that across the different um, parts of the so, college and university? So, so let me give you a very concrete example. Uh, we now have a protocol that we use routinely at the end of every leadership meeting. Mm -hmm. After we've done our business, we spend about 10, 15, we save about 10, 15 minutes at the end of each meeting and we go around the room and we check in, every leadership meeting. And we do two things. We check in on what's new in your respective area and then we go to the personal, what's going on in your life that we can help you with. And people articulate that, I'm, 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 I'm dealing with this, my family, this, uh, and so forth. And we mm -hmm. allow people to share. It's not a requirement, but we've been doing it for so long now that it's a routine. And we have mm -hmm. a little fun with it sometimes, uh, but, but it's this notion of, of what's going on in your life that we, we need to know about so we can help you navigate that space. Um, I will tell you when we first started, it was anomalous to what we do in the academy. And, 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 and you know, being a psychologist, recognizing that people's well-being is tied to the quality of work, we now do that routinely and people look forward to it because it's a shift from those kinds of things. The second thing that I do is I'm a leader or manager by walking around. I don't wait for people to come to me. And when I first started this job, as you can imagine, I would walk into people's office and have conversations and I would introduce myself and I'd have conversations with people about themselves and their lives and how long they've been here and what are they doing. And people would always say, so, so what have I done wrong? <laughs> you know, uh, why, are you, why are you really here? And I would have to say, I'm just here to visit with you because I'm trying to get to know the place. That's no longer the case four years later. Uh, but I continue to walk the halls. People can see me. People can ignore me if they wish to. But I, I pop into offices and I check on people to say, how are you doing? And when I know something personal about people's health, family, or well-being, or I know they're struggling with something, I bring it up as part of the conversation and say, mm -hmm. is there anything I can do reach out to me or, you know, if you remember something. So, so I've been modeling that kind of behavior for my faculty, for my staff, for my leadership team. Whether they're doing that or not, I don't monitor that, but, but my mm -hmm. sense is that the tone in the college has shifted a great, uh -huh. a great deal to demonstrate that. And, and I, I, I can encourage you, if time permits, to talk to some of the people who, who work with me. And so there's a tone that, that's been shifted, and so I demonstrate that. I, I often, in my, um, in my conversations with people and in my public uh, comments that I make, I often use this phrase that, that you've heard before, which is, you know, be kind to everyone because you don't know the challenges that they are facing. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so we all have a story, and those stories we don't separate them from the job, and so our ability to accommodate those in people is something that we're doing in a, in a very different way. But we make sure 
that we always remain person-centered or student-centered in our activity and something that I've preached and talked about a number of times. But Daniel, I'm going to ask you to stay with me a moment on this because my, my, my older boy, as he's listening to these podcasts, um, says, oh, that's what leaders say. That's what leaders say they do that. What's been the cost to you personally as a leader to maintain that authentic and, and to some degree personally risky stance? And how do you know it's, you suggest you know it's working because the tone's set, but how do you really know it's working? Uh, I know it's working. I don't know if it's working for everyone, mm-hmm. but I know it's because I have no way of indicating that unless I do a survey. But I know it's working because people have told me that they like my approach, they like my leadership, they like my management, uh, they've told me, uh, they've told me these kinds of things. Now, I'll, I'll, know, I'll know in reality when I'm up for renewal, uh, um, uh, you know, whether that's the case, but, but I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that there are manifestations mm-hmm. in our community that didn't exist before. Uh, we have created, COVID put an end to some of this, but we started to have Halloween parties in our college. Didn't exist before. People came out and the energy was there mm-hmm. that wasn't. We would have holiday celebrations. We now have a beginning of the year convocation where we bring entertainment into the place and we make it fun in the variety of ways. And people show up for these things. And so, mm-hmm. and so the first time we did this, and particularly given our size, we had somewhere between 300 and 350 people show up for these events because they were new and different. As I said, COVID has put a damper on some of yeah. this. And we've just started again, but people again showed up at the beginning of the semester. And then we do, we have these affinity groups that are meeting around a variety of topics around social justice, engagement, what do we do, how do we look at it, research, providing funds for people to be incentivized around well-being and, and activities like that. And then the other thing that we do, we often, we, we bring in a speaker, a distinguished speaker. Uh, we, started the, um, we started a distinguished lecture series. And, mm-hmm. and, and in, in our first year um, um, in doing this, we brought in Tanahasi Coates to do a keynote and engage in issues around social justice and engagement in a variety of ways. And we're, we're about to roll out our second one uh, this next semester during Black History Month. And, mm-hmm. and, and uh, we're going to do it again, bring in another distinguished scholar, and people make these suggestions. So there are manifestations of bringing people together. I continue to have lunches and activities with new faculty. Uh, I check in on them, themselves and their families. Other people are doing the same. So there are a lot of low-hanging fruit that I think administrators could do that often don't, have, don't cost a lot. But remember, uh, again, I hate to use another quote, people may not remember what you say, but they remember how you make them feel. And so, and so I pay pretty, pretty much attention to that about how am I making people feel? What kind of climate am I developing in order to make them more connected to this place? And, and, and again, my, my guess is from what I've seen that, that most of these low-hanging fruit are things that, that uh, most people like because it's a pivot from where we used to be in our silos and in an approach 
that did not allow a kind of community gatherings. And so those are the things that I've been investing in and in, in bringing people together and setting up a whole number of committees and advisory councils that didn't exist before. We have a staff advisory council that didn't exist before. We have a graduate student advisory council. Mm -hmm. uh, we have an advisory council for our college. So, so these are things uh, that, that, are, that didn't exist before that represent a change in the environment. And then, as I said, the whole values of what we, what we, what we purport to be or aspire to be, and it takes an intentionality around bringing those things to fruition. So as, as, as you've kind of enhanced uh, focus on, on um, being open to the community, the broad community, uh, to reconfigure what academia should be doing, the responsibility of research outcome and impact on society, uh, bringing more active uh, superintendents and people into the building, creating opportunities for people to talk with each other in communities of kind and across communities, highlighting caring for others, as a ethic in the school and a sense of more community uh, opportunities through uh, social events. When has it not worked? Where is that work as you move in the college, changing the culture, creating a sense of uh, uh, connectedness that may or may not have been there before in the traditional silo world where faculty knew each other and were close to each other, but who knew the person down the hall? Where, where, is, where has that been a difficult to pull off or problematic or, or where may even have you, is, has it not worked for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm, I'm tempted to say it hasn't not worked yet, but, 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 but I, I know that. You're not done yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, right, right. So, 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 so it's, a, it's a work in progress. And, and so we're making these baby steps. I, I, I think... I, I'm, I'm not sure I would say it, it, it hasn't worked. I would say that, that the resistance manifests itself in people who want to remain in the silos uh, because that's their comfort point and they want to continue to bifurcate or, or, or in, in these traditional ways because it requires, the, the, the new approach requires them to to disrupt the way they think about things, and that's difficult for anyone. You know, I, I, I you know, I, I think, I, I think one of the things about change that is uh, uh, underrated is that to bring about some level of change, it, 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 it requires that at some level to to say to ourselves in our mind's eye that the way I've been doing things is wrong or doesn't work. We're not great at telling ourselves that. We're great at telling other people that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, and, and so when you look about, when you think about change uh, uh, from a psychological point of view, uh, you know, sometimes you use the successive approximation approach in order to do that. And you incentivize people around the, the perimeters and you hope that the people who are still holding on to that core piece Will, mm -hmm. be, will be informed by that and say at some point, um, how, do you, um, uh, how do I become a part of that? And so, and so those are the pockets that I still see in our college of, no, I want to do this, I want to, I want to create this, I want to do this over there. And, and my, my notion is to say, you are welcome to do that, but the college will invest its resources over here. 
Uh, if you want to do that, go write a grant, go do those kinds of things. But here's where the resources will be, and I wish you could be part of this, and I will continue to invite you to the conversation so that you can, you can add value to that. And so those are some of the, the ways in which I, as the dean, I have to nuance those. And then the other part is I have to empower my leadership team to do some of this themselves um, uh, so that they can, they can um, evangelize, for want of a better word, uh, the communities in which they live, and I encourage them to take ownership. Uh, I, I'm, very, I'm, very, um, uh, um, I'm very concerned when leaders say, well, the dean said this, so that's why we should do it, as opposed to saying, here's what we've been talking about, and we're committed to this set of values, and that's why we should do it, because it brings in a higher authority when there may not be any need for that, and it, and it puts me in a kind of an awkward situation. So, so part of it is, is it still is a work in progress. Um, uh, mm -hmm. uh, our mistakes ha may have been in a few situations of trying to move too quickly. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, and, and so there are always early adapters and late adapters. Yeah. So, so, so I try to figure out, I work with the early adapters and they want to run. <laughs> And I, and I like to run, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so I was like, let's run. If you can't run, walk fast. Many of my, my leadership team will tell you that. But then there are people that say, well, I'm not good at running. I want to see, you know, I, I don't like this model of, of um, building the airplane as we're, fly, as we're taking off. Mm -hmm. I want to have it all figured out, and I'm thinking. And so what I'm asking people to do, which is, maybe problematic for some, is I'm asking them to take a leap of faith uh, yeah. and, and recognize that there are possibilities out there that they haven't thought of and I haven't thought of, and I want them to bring their best ideas. And it's in those, in those nexus points that dialectical attention emerges, mm -hmm. and you have a different kind of conversation. It's not a no conversation. It, it, it's not a yes conversation. It's more of, let me think about it. And I want to say, I need you to think about it now, or I need you to get back to me soon. And so, my challenge, my challenge as as a as a leader, I, I, um, is to be patient in some instances, uh, which has been hard for me uh, in, in in a variety of settings. But I'm getting better at that as I get older. Yeah, yeah. So, so someone told me the other day when uh, they were quoting someone else who said. When I was young, I wanted to change the world. As I get older, I want to change myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I still, I, I still want to do both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in that is the question about, and you, you've only been at OSU for a relatively short period of time, and you're bringing a lot of new faculty, systems are changing around you. How do you start thinking of sustainability you know, creating a community of care, focus on the we, a collaborative, um, let's collaborate rather than compete. Those are very difficult values in academia to create because our incentive structures often aren't aligned with collaboration. They're often aligned with that autonomous being. So how are you thinking about creating a sustainable model that, as you say, is not dependent on the dean saying it, right. but on it being what the school is? How right. do you think about that? So, so, so what we have done is that we've created out of some of the items that I have mentioned, policies and practices 
that we are institutionalizing in the college. We have grown, we have grown, for instance, our Office of Diversity and Inclusion so that it not only affects uh, the employment of individuals, but it also has developed a set of policies and procedures. And one of the things that we've institutionalized is when we now interview people, there are groups of people from that office that are part of the interview process. So we've institutionalized those kinds of things because you're absolutely right. I mean, I sat back and said, and said, you know, if, 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 if I were hit by a Mack truck tomorrow, will any of this continue? So yes. the sustainability is part of it. The other thing we've done is we've, we've managed to raise an incredible amount of money uh, for our college for the first time in our history where donors have resonated with our core values and the pillars of the college. So we've got resources that have been committed to X, Y, and Z uh, uh, through endowments and cash so we have we have resources, uh, uh, you know. Unless we do something stupid with those monies, uh, we're not going to lose them beyond my my time in this position. And then the third thing is is I've attempted to identify leaders in key roles in the college that, again, as I said earlier, can evangelize and propagate certain core principles that are consistent with where we want to go. So they don't need me to say those things. They now own it and can say, here's what we believe in. How does this request advance the pillars? How does it advance our core values? And so, and, and more importantly, after we've done all of that, the last question is, how has this transformed the lives of students? At the center of everything that we do, we must be in a position where we transform the lives of the students that come into our community. And if we're not doing that, why are we here? If we don't, we're going to become irrelevant. Uh, I could let you drop the mic on that. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to ask one more question. because that, 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 that as a pillar of, uh, of the, the appropriate outcome is remarkable and I think um, uh, meaningful. And and I and I and lots of people say it. You're clearly doing it, which is which is very difficult to do over time. So with that, and I want to thank you for the time. That one last question I'd like to ask is, what would you tell your younger self? And you can pick. You've had enough. You've been in enough institutions. You can pick the younger self you you want to talk with. Um, but when you look back, say, what would you want to say to them? What you know now. What would you want them to hear and bring forward into, into their career? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. I, I, um, I would tell myself a number of things. One is to be patient. Mm -hmm. um, that change eventually happens for you and for the environment that you find yourself in. The second thing that I would tell myself is align yourself with those people early in your career who you perceive as being transformative leaders and change agents, mm -hmm. whether they be in or outside of the academy. Read everything they've written, attend conferences, talks, uh, you know, look at what they've said and how they say, they say they're going to do it. Um, uh, I was looking, I found myself at some point feeling that the, the need to do something different and I couldn't quite put my hand around it and, and so I found that later than I did. And then the other one is for me to be intellectually flexible. 
and open to other ways of seeing that paradigm. Those are, those are, those are really hard things to do. Let me, let me be clear about that. It's very hard to do. Um, uh, and then the very last thing I'd say is give myself a sense of grace, recognizing that I will make mistakes along the way and my ability to not take those things so seriously as being catastrophic. Every wrong decision doesn't end in a catastrophe. Yeah. Uh, and so how do you give yourself, I'm good, I'm good from a clinical perception, giving everybody else moments of grace. I think we are hardest on ourselves. And I've only learned to do that in this reiteration of myself. And, and so recognizing that, that in some ways, people, when people sometimes disagree with me or offer an alternate perspective, they're disagreeing with me as a person who represents this role and separating mm -hmm. the role from the person and, yeah. rec and recognizing those things. And so, so those are some of the things I would have told my, my younger self and, and probably more, more satirical than anything else, I would tell my younger self, you're gonna do great things in the world. Um, uh, these, these opportunities will emerge, there will be a fork in the road and you have to be careful to make that right choice and sometimes in making the wrong choice, you still leads you in a different direction. And so trust, trust in the journey, uh, mm -hmm. uh, and and have have a have a small but but group of friends and colleagues who can be honest with you, and you can reflect in those in those times. Th those are very important as we move forward. Well, I want to publicly thank you for being one of those people for me over my my time and career. So I really appreciate you sharing your time with us, Don, and I uh, wish you all the best. And uh, we're holding you in the light. You take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Caring, Character, and Community, the podcast of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. The development of this podcast has made possible the generous support from the BU's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development and a grant from the Kern Family Foundation. Thanks also to Lizzie Barquet for her editorial and production work on this podcast. The music you're, listening, you're hearing is Bluesy Vise by Doug Maxwell, produced by Media Right Productions. I'm Hardin Coleman, and thank you so much for listening.